Hi guys, Paul here and welcome to Fat Chat with the Boss. This is episode number two, um, not including our bonus podcast that we posted last week off the back of Sharon Hodgson's podcast. Um, first of all, thanks for all your feedback um, with regards to Sharon's episode. I think it was really open and honest and we got you know, countless amounts of messages saying how um, the episode really inspired them. I know Sharon was really happy with it. Um, we got a bit of press coverage from it, which is really nice. Um, but thank you. And please do continue to send us messages, questions, um, and what have you with regards to anything that we ever do, or any thoughts you've got, feedback, whatever. Uh, message on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash British Obesity Society, or hello at theboss.org. So this episode is one with an individual who you probably don't know. So this is Sam Horton. Now, Sam is someone who is unbelievable with regard to what she's gone through, but specifically um, how she's literally done everything in her battle to try and lose weight. So you name it, she's done it. Um, And she still continues to battle with being um, slightly overweight. So this episode is sensitive in parts, Um, there's a lot of chat about mental health, Um, it's quite moving, um, quite inspirational, Um, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. Next week we've got an equally amazing episode, Um, but please do sit back and enjoy this one with Sam Horton. So I am 29 years old. I'm originally from Derbyshire, a small countryside town called Matlock, which not many people have heard of. Um, And I went to a school locally, and quite weirdly, I was one of only two girls in my year group, so that was quite an odd dynamic. Um, But I've grown up in a family of four boys, and I'm the youngest of four, so that's kind of unique, I guess, to me and most people as well. Um, so I've grown up around predominantly men, but I have a really good relationship with girls as well. And well, I thought I did until a certain point in my younger school years where unfortunately another girl joined my year group, making it three and, um, the other two got on a lot better. I started getting really chubby and they started to take, um, the mick out of me and I ended up getting bullied. So kind of that's where it all started. And I was about probably like 10 when it first started. Um, and I didn't really understand why. I just thought, you know, they just picked on me for, because they were just they had nothing else to do. And found it quite difficult and challenging at such a young age to understand why people be so mean, why can't we all share and have, you know, fun at school. So that was kind of like my first, my very, very first experience of not being like other girls and having... <clears throat> to kind of live with not being kind of what I expected or should you know, thought I should be um, at that age. So I've kind of, yeah, so that was like my first real experience of, oh, I don't look like they do. Am I then odd? When when you say that they, um, so you said that they <clears throat> like, picked on you and you, you started getting yeah. chubby. Like what was it, how, how did that kind of materialise? At what point did you go... Oh, well, I'm, I'm chubby. Or was it the consequence? <laughs> um, I mean, what was that, what was that recognition? How I don't know, really. I honestly don't know. I think 
I mean, as far as I was aware, I was, I was having a healthy diet. My, you know, my parents were working two jobs, as in they had two companies they were running. So we had a nanny, and I guess, like every parent will know, the the best thing is fast, quick, easy food choices for your kids. So maybe that played a part in it. Maybe it was just, you know, mum and dad would just shove stuff on the table that was quick and easy. So, you know, fried chicken and chips and beans and all those kind of things. Um, and maybe my biology, my, my biology is in my, my genetics don't really help. Um, and I know that I've been fighting that because like with no disrespect to the rest of my family, but looking down my line of women, you know, they're not stick thin. They're not massive, but they're not stick thin. Um, although annoyingly my mum, when she was my age was stick thin and then she had kids and then like every mum puts on a few pounds. So I don't know what happened in terms of why I started to gain weight. I mean, I was quite active at school. I played in a lot of hockey teams and tennis and netball rounders, athletics, cross country, which I hate and still hate to this day, but I'd always give something a go, even if I was rubbish at it. Um, and I guess I've come from quite an affluent family. Like my parents, like I said, had two companies, did quite well. Um, and then, you know, they started to take us to nice places for holidays. Like we'd go to Barbados at Christmas um, they would also go traveling and then, then that meant I'd have to board like two, three weeks at a time at quite a young age. And I guess that kind of made me stand out a bit different from the other kids because they weren't having the exposure to these kind of like really nice things. But then again, at that age, you don't understand why, because you're like, well, you know, my parents are just working hard. They've earned it. They want to spend it on the kids. What's the big problem with that? Um, so it's probably like a two pronged approach. It was probably a bit of jealousy, and it was probably just, I looked different, so I was more of an easy target. And only being in a class of three girls, there's not much to kind of, I couldn't really hide amongst the masses. It was, I, I did look different, I started to gain weight, and I was an easy target. So what happened when you uh, kind of etched into secondary school? So when I moved up into what was boarding school from 13 to 18, um... That changed things massively because I was in a boarding house full of girls. There was 60 of us living there. I could very much, I felt I could much easier, easily, easier, like kind of fit in amongst my peers. Everyone was like different shapes and sizes, but I have always throughout every stage of my life been the predominantly bigger of the group. Don't know why, just the way it's turned out. And even in my family, like my cousins are... I mean, I'm five foot seven and they're like five foot four, tiny, petite, completely different to me. Um, so I kind of always feel like I've stood out in a weird way. And But only now, nearly turning 30, I'm starting to appreciate that actually that's quite a unique thing and I should be proud of it. It sounds like a really cliche story, but... Um, into my first year of boarding school, um, I, I had this ridiculous relationship with this with this guy who was actually in the the boarding house that one of my brothers was in. So I'm sure he had a great time with that. And yeah, for the first two years, we were completely in love. It was my first love. We were absolutely besotted. We did everything together. Um, and that obviously gave me a huge amount of confidence. And he was known as like one of the the hot boys at school. So for me, I was like living the life of Riley and I'd got all the fun and all the experiences that I didn't have back at pre-boarding school. So I was like, great, I'm off to a cracking start. Life's good. 
I've got this really like handsome boy. And how handsome can you be at 16, 15 years old? I don't know. But I felt that at the time that I'd scored like, you know, the golden ticket. And then he broke my heart. <laughs> so <laughs> sounds like such a bad sob story, but it's this is just genuinely what happened. He I think him and I were two from two very, very different worlds. He was a farmer, I was from a very entrepreneurial family. And I, I I just remember going on a geography field trip one day and came back and he was like, It's over and I was like, Yeah, yeah, whatever, see you How tomorrow. How old were you then? Uh fifteen, sixteen. Um, and I thought he was just playing one of those games, like, you know, we'd have a Barney, have an argument and then tomorrow we'll be all back to normal. It wasn't. That was actually the end. And I couldn't for the life of me understand why. And then the triggers started coming back. You know, was it because I didn't look like Annie from school, who was stick thin, beautiful, tall, glorious hair, good at everything, intelligent, sporty, the whole package. And I started to think, it's got to be something about me, something wrong with me. I've done something. Maybe I've gained weight. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's just something you just internalized it well I internalize everything so I was like it's it's I started to like really nail into me and punish myself um and then that's when I started self-harming because I couldn't I couldn't get I couldn't express or deal with the situation and how it was happening because there was no clear explanation like I'm a very logical person so if he'd said to me I remember breaking up with you because of x y and z and I'd said okay fine I can understand that I can I can compartmentalize that, I can appreciate it, and I can get over it. The fact that I couldn't, I didn't know what else to do. And at that time, self-harming was such a huge release. And I never took it to a a stage where it was life-threatening. It would just be like, you know, minor grazes on my arms. But then people start to notice, and then I started to get bullied for that. And it's like, oh, when you people are doing that, they're crying out for help. It's not them trying to do it to get attention and for the wrong reasons, like, that's a sign that someone's not okay. Um, and I remember my mum, I used to wear long sleeve tops all year through, even in summer, because I obviously didn't want to show. And I remember my mum found them once, and she was like, what on earth is that? And I was like, oh, I fell over in hockey on the AstroTurf and grazed my arms. And she was like, mm-hmm. So I think she kind of clocked then that things weren't kind of going right. And obviously I was just in a mess because of the breakup. And then to kind of deal with the breakup and the just genuinely feeling rubbish, I turned to food <laughs> and then started putting on weight um, for, I think, two years after that. So coming up to some of my last year, I put on quite a bit of weight and then my parents were like, hmm, we need to have a chat. Tell me about that. So, you know, that for, for any... I think one of the things that I certainly found when I was I was teaching in the secondary school, and I yeah. also um, I did some counselling for children and young people mm-hmm. uh, with eating disorders, and I think that one of the things that becomes quite clear is that heartbreak isn't taken seriously until especially not when you're like fourteen <laughs> until you hit probably about sixteen, seventeen, <clears throat> and even then, you know, we can be accused of going oh. You know, it's what do yeah. <laughs> Lovers tiff or whatever, you know, young love. But actually the reality is that, you know, from from based on your story, this this little girl who was bullied through primary school, she got to secondary school and for a moment she was she was great and then the bullying started again and then she was like, you know, jackpot and she lived a life that was mm-hmm. really happy and then that kind of Almost like you'd, you'd found your feet and it, and it just got taken away yeah. from you. I literally had the carpet pulled out from underneath me. And, 
you know the the way that you dealt with that at the time and and as you say was the the calling for help was by self-harming and mm. i think that you you interestingly made the transition from from self-harming to and then i found food but actually you know at what point does food become you know that 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 emotional eating yeah do, do we do we have a discussion that actually is that a form of self-harming you know in i completely agree i think there's various forms of self-harm there's a huge spectrum um you know i think you know from doing physical abuse to yourself self-harming to emotionally damaging yourself you know ripping yourself a new one every time for absolutely nothing to alcoholism to then you know that can lead on to drug abuse and so on and so forth and i quite luckily dodged some of the more severe ones but I definitely have an addiction to foods. I, I, I do. I think about it all the time. Even when I'm having lunch, I'm thinking what I'm going to have for dinner. What can I snack on? It's like, it's, it's, it's torment and it's horrible. But, you know, food is such an, an incremental part of life. You kind of can't avoid it. You just have to train yourself to make smarter decisions. And one of the difficult things that I found was eating to nourish myself and eating to make myself better with healthy foods. Like, that's rewarding me whereas I've always had this like self-loathing approach and this oh I don't deserve it because I've kind of just struggled with this whole leading up to me kind of getting into my depression years which we'll come on to I've always thought I don't deserve it I should punish myself but maybe without even thinking about it I just eat for comfort. I just eat because I wanted to eat that and no one was there to tell me not to. When you were 16, was it 16 years <clears throat> self-harming? Yeah. Okay, so when you were 16 and you tell me, I'm really interested in the, not the transition as such, but when you, can you remember a time in that period of your life mm-hmm. where you found comfort in food? Can you talk me through that kind yeah, of... Yeah, totally. So um, we had an in-house matron who was called Brenda and she was an absolute saint and when I had broken up with my boyfriend at the time I didn't know what to do with my free time because historically we were always we do um, when I say do everything together I mean do absolutely everything together we'd walk to classes together he'd pick me up from a class he'd come back to my boarding house we'd go to sports things together we'd go to the tuck shop together we'd go into town together everything and I actually lost some of my really good friends because I was so obsessed with him and we'd do everything together so when that stopped I was like, well, what do I do now? What, what, what does everyone do in their free time if they're not spending it with their boyfriends or, you know, playing sports? So my matron kind of saw that I was a bit of a lost lamb, not knowing what to do. And she was like, well, look, come in, because her house was connected to the boarding house. So when she had downtime, she'd just go back to her house and she'd watch TV. And I had a really, really close rapport with her. So she'd be like, come and just, you know, watch Deal or No Deal with me. And I was like, oh, God, thanks. And it was actually that little slice of home life in a, you know, a boarding house, a boarding school environment that was just so precious to me. And it was like, I couldn't be with my mum. I couldn't really just go home because, you know, boarding school, especially for the first, I think it's like three months that you're not allowed any contact with home. So they really kind of like, you know, wean you off relying on mum and dad. Um, But at that time in my life, I desperately needed that comfort and that place I could go and feel safe. And my matron in the boarding house was that. And then... When it came to nighttime, as we got older, we were able to order in takeaways if we wanted to. Massive mistake. So <laughs> I have an unhealthy addiction to Chinese food. Like, it's ridiculous. I love, love, love it. And we had this Chinese in the town of the school that I was in, and 
every opportunity I could get to order some takeout, I would, because it would just, to me, it's that, it gives me that feeling of, you know, it's a Saturday night at home, you're with your family, and it's like, can't be asked to cook, but let's get a movie on, and let's just order a takeout, and it's a really good, homely environment, and you feel, I don't know if anyone else feels the way I do, but I just get really excited about it, and it's like, whoopee, like, we're gonna have a great family time, so I have a deep association with that, and then when I could start doing that at school, obviously that was giving me my little kicks of like, okay, good, I've got something to look forward to. You know, I might have a rubbish day, but I can go home tonight and I can order my favourite food and it's going to be amazing. When I started smuggling chocolate bars into my dorm room and hiding them, um, <laughs> that was kind of a key point. And we used to have tuck boxes that we were allowed in our rooms and you could fill it with anything you wanted. Um, and mine was predominantly filled with chocolate and crisps and all the bad stuff. I didn't really see it as secret eating, but especially when I was at home, um, like mum would have, mum, mum and dad would have like the, you know, the naughty drawer full of all the bad stuff. And you know, I'd finish dinner, you know, main course and maybe even dessert. And then it would be like that lull between after dinner before we go to bed. And I'd sort of think, oh, I'm sure I could smuggle a Twix and mum wouldn't notice. And I'd wait for them all to go to the lounge. And I'm like, oh, I'm just going to bed. And I like scurry into the kitchen and open the drawer and, you know, nick a couple of Twix bars and run up to my room and scoff them. And then I'd take the, <laughs> take the wrappers in my backpack to school um, the following Sunday night so that mum wouldn't find them at home. And like, my mum's not stupid. She doesn't need to find the wrappers to know that they'd gone. Like, my mum's a retired accountant. So she, she knew full on let this had happened but because I'd got two brothers living at home at the time she couldn't decipher who it was but obviously I was the only one gaining weight so she she how, knew <laughs> how, how was it was it a feel of you know that comfort and that that kind of satisfaction or was there an aspect of guilt or were we too early too premature no it kind of here? it went full circle so you'd have like the giddy sensation of like oh I've smuggled food I've done that that's a bit naughty and then you've scoffed it and you've obviously got the pleasure from the food that you're eating and then afterwards you're like oh now I feel really guilty like I shouldn't have done that and then then I'd punish myself in other ways you know I'd probably end up self-harming or I'd try and starve myself the next day which never ever works or I'd just mentally like you know keep telling myself like you're an idiot why have you done that you know you want to look like the other girls but if you keep doing this you're not going to and it would just be like this, you know, repetitive cycle in my head. So, yeah, definitely the satisfaction, swiftly followed by the guilt, swiftly followed by probably doing the same thing again and again and again. One of the girls, well, actually, a lot of the girls would always buy these Miss 60 jeans, which were incredibly popular when I was young. And I could never, ever buy them because I could never fit into them. Their sizing was minute. Um, and I've also just always been a different shape. I'm a curvy person, you know, I've got boobs, smallish waist, big hips, so everyone, I don't know why, but everyone in my life, or maybe I'm just thinking that, but they've always been the straight up and down girls, so yeah, they'd wear like cute little tank tops and these tight jeans, and I would just be like, oh, this is just not going to happen, like I physically can't, my body shape doesn't, and, and the brands at that time didn't tailor for, like they do now, back then they didn't tailor for the slightly curvier girls, it was very reformed and it was this is this is what you know this fits a mannequin and if it doesn't fit you tough luck you have to find something else so um and also going with boys I kind of went through a little bit of a tomboy phase so I'd wear lots of baggy stuff like hoodies and really baggy skater boy jeans and I remember I had a chain once and I just looked ridiculous but I'd always try and find a way of 
trying to look like them, but without actually succeeding. Um, and that was kind of a key point when I realized that I'm definitely different. I'm definitely bigger. And, you know, I can't, I could never, and this is quite a sad thing for me, but I could never, I never, I've never ever had that, what I would think is, you know, like a traditional moment in any girl's life of being able to share clothes with your friends. Never had that. So when you're getting ready for like the school disco and everyone's going, oh, what are we going to wear? What are we going to wear? And like, they're all swapping dresses and jeans and crop tops. And I'm there like, yeah, I'll just wear a bin bag and uh, kind of make do. I could never, I've never had that feeling of, yeah, yeah, here's my wardrobe, go for it. Because everyone's like, well, that's not going to fit me because it's all too big. So I'd never offer. And likewise, the girls would never offer to me because they'd be like, well, obviously it's not going to fit you. So they kind of spared my feelings on those occasions. But that was when it came very apparent that I was different. I always had this vision in my mind that it would be university where I meet my husband. So I was like, right, <laughs> I've got to look my best, fresh start, you know, clean sheet, put school years behind me, put the bullying behind me. Um, and like really find my own feet. Um, so I did this diet, I did the Atkins diet for I, I think the best part of a year and I shed weight. Essentially it's just cutting out carbohydrates is the easiest way to explain it. So anything that contains carbohydrates as well as basic carbohydrates you're just not allowed. So that is like your biscuits, bread, pasta, um, cakes, crisps, all the fun stuff. It's just gone. You can't have anything. Even the first two weeks, you're not even allowed fruit because that contains sugar and sugar is a form or can turn into a carbohydrate. So you're essentially just eating protein, 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 um, high fat, it's advised, um, eggs and bacon for the morning. I don't know, I can't even remember because it's that long ago, but it was just protein. Um, and then obviously there's huge side effects of that from, you know, feeling you just feel odd because you're depriving your body of a food group that you've had for however many years you've been on the earth. And when you're doing exercise, like I was at school, you obviously need carbohydrates for energy, but then your body's then forced to burn your fat stores, which takes up more energy. So you're just constantly knackered and you look tired. And also working my butt off, not only just doing my academia side of stuff, but I'm also doing my sports and I'm doing my extracurricular stuff and I'm learning to drive at this point as well. So it was all go, go, go. But once the weight started dropping off, I got addicted to that. I was like, oh my God, this is actually working. Um, and school were really good with supporting me. You know, I would go to the kitchen staff in the morning and I'd say, look, can you just cut, cut me up a little, like couple of rashes of bacon and an egg and I'll, that'll do me. And whilst I'm watching everyone scoff chocolate croissants and feeling really sorry for myself, but at the time it was working and everyone started to notice the change in me. So that then gave me a boost. And I was like, oh, actually this is, this is really working. Um, and a key point was I actually dropped enough weight to get into a pair of jeans that my friend lent me, which was like the holy grail moment of, I finally got that satisfaction of, you know, fitting into a pair of jeans that I never thought I would. And then the boys started to notice. I was like, great. All the things I was craving started to, started to come my way. Um, but it wasn't easy, it was tough. And I'd suffer with really bad headaches, and like without getting gross, you start to smell because of the amount of fat that in protein that you're, I mean, everyone knows how much, if you take so much protein, you start getting like the windy pops and it's just horrible. It's just not a good, it's not pleasant, but it, it worked. Um, but the down point is the second that you come off it, the second you start going back onto carbohydrates, your body is like a sponge and it just sucks everything back and then you pile on weight 
even if you've not gone too crazy, it's just, you're, if you're depriving your body of something so badly, the minute you give it a whiff of something that it's not had for so long, what's it going to do? You know, it's just going to take it all on board and store it. I went hardcore. Because like, that's what I do. If I'm going to do something, I'll go straight in, give it everything. And then about six months later, I give up. That's kind of my pattern. So I gave it everything. And I think at school, it was really easy for me because it was all there for me on a plate. Literally, I could I could ask for what I needed or I was given what I needed and that was it. Um, but when I went to uni, that's when shit hit the fan and it all went wrong. You're boarding school, you're so tightly strung and you're, you're kept to such a tight regime and you're managed so, like, tightly by your, not just your peers, but your school teachers and your, the art teacher and the fitness coach. So going to uni, I was like, sweet, <laughs> no one's going to tell me what to do. I can do whatever I want to do. I've got all this money from my loan from the government and I've never had to manage money before. So when that three grand hit my account, I was like, Kaching, and I just went crazy. Um, and obviously, at uni, there's the, the drinking culture. There's Freshers' Week, which I took to the max, and I actually got Freshers' flu, which I'm sure many of us have suffered from. And unfortunately, because of that, I missed the hockey trials for the university team, and then I never got to play. So I'd gone from being a county hockey player, really quite good in my day, if you don't mind me saying to this kind of like potato couch potato situation and the guys I was sharing a flat with at uni weren't particularly bothered about sports and or anything for that matter so I kind of like just fell in line with them and just absolutely piled on the weight I can't even tell you I went from being this kind of like new me from the Atkins to this beached whale it was just it was something to behold it was quite it was just vile the only way I can explain it is, like, imagine an elastic band that's been pulled to its absolute capacity and someone just lets it go. That was what I was like going from school to university. There was no interim kind of, like, weaning me off, being so regimented. It was like, just, I was just unleashed. <laughs> and I just, I was at that age where, like, a cocky teenager, it's a new life, it's uni, you don't have to take anything so seriously... Yeah, I just went bananas and there was Chinese takeaways on every street corner. So I was like, well, in my element, I didn't have to do sport. No one, no one was making me do anything. It was very much I could make up my own decisions. Even if I, you know, did I want to go to, if I was lazy or I didn't want to go to a lecture, I didn't go. Was anyone there to punish me? No. So it was a totally different pace of life. And I kind of, you know, took it a little bit too far and got very comfortable with being lazy um one of the girls that was in my my halls in my flat was again pin thin and she was like oh you know I'm thinking about going to the gym and I was like oh yeah I remember when I used to work out back in the day <laughs> and I thought okay I'll join you like she's one of my best friends and we did everything together so I thought okay we'll join and the gym membership was like 11 pounds a month because it is at uni which is great so we joined the gym in our halls but I never did anything in the gym you know I went to the gym but I never push myself I'd just sit on the treadmill chatting to her and making but then because I'd been to the gym I was like oh I've got all these extra calories I can now indulge um which actually I didn't have because I was never actually making that much of a deficit and also I was still eating like a for like three people so that was kind of like my way of cheating my mind into thinking hey you've done all this exercise that like you can now treat yourself which is complete nonsense because I never actually did 
the workouts or what I should have been doing. Um, so that was kind of a waste of time. Um, and then I guess the next kick up the bum for me and the next flip switch moment was turning 21. And it's been like a tradition in my family that we have like these big parties and like we used to have um, a big driveway and we'd kind of put a big marquee up in the drive and all our friends and family would come over and it was like a really big thing. And I'd obviously watch my brothers ahead of me have all these parties. And I think the pressure was on with me being the only girl. And it was that one time where I'd be the center of attention and I wanted to have this like really glamorous dress and I wanted to wow my family and be like, look, I've come through, I've made, I've, you know, got my uni degree. It wasn't quite what I wanted, but I got it. And it's now a new stage of my life where I'm going to hopefully move down to London. And again, I had that kind of like clean slate, fresh page feeling. So I was like, right, 21, big, big, big moment in my life. Need to look the part. All the photos and stuff are going to be amazing. And they're going to remind me of this for years to come. And I want to show my kids when I grow up and like, look, look what mum looked like when she was 21. She's fabulous. She might not be now, but look at her back then. <laughs> so that was a real point of like, right, I can do this. And then with the help of my mum, so mum and I have been like yo-yo dieting partners for life. We, we do everything together. So every diet you can possibly think of, or that's come to the market, we've done, including like the egg and grapefruit diet, where for two weeks you just eat egg and grapefruit for every meal. I mean, that's that should be like brought out in the prisons because that's a sheer form of punishment. Um, we've done Atkins more times than I can remember. We've done South Beach diet. We've done similar to Atkins, basically just to, um, to deprive your body of carbs. Um, and then we've done, is it like the cabbage soup diet? Oh, that one will clear out a funeral hall. That was terrible. Um, and then I got introduced to diet pills. After doing the cabbage soup diet, I then went, I was actually referred to the GP by my mum because I was kind of losing hope and nothing was ever working. And then I got put on these diet pills, which were horrendous, to say the least. And um, I don't know why I was ever put on them. I don't think I ever should have been. How, how big were you at this point? Like, how heavy? Were you heaviest? Or? Um, the heaviest yet. And why, why did you go to the doctor? What was the Because initial... I couldn't, nothing else was working. Okay, so or it was I, fair. Yeah, I at least felt nothing else was working. I mean, looking back now, I was a lazy sod and I wasn't doing enough. But I was like, oh, you know, mum, nothing's working. I've tried all these diets. You've seen me. You've seen how hard I've tried. It's not worked. So next cage is pharmaceuticals. Um, so, yeah, I went to the GP and obviously they, they go off your body mass index, which mine was skyrocketing. Um... And so she was like, right, you know, this, this new pill's come out. We'll give it a go, see how you get on. Here's a massive dose. Off you pop. Um, and that and, was within a 10-minute consultation with your GP? Oh, yeah. Like, no blood's taken, no real data given from, you know, I think GPs, and especially I was quite good at manipulating them. I could really pull on the woe is me chat. And, I, you know, I was quite good at, you know, I, I wanted that. And I, I thought it was going to help me. And I'd turn out to be a size 8 in three weeks' time. So I was like, this is what I want, and I'm going to get it. You know, they're, they're professional. They're the ones that are educated. They know all about the drugs. Um, so why would you think otherwise? Um, so the pill worked on the basis that it would stop your body binding fat and it would, ex it would just excrete it from your body so you wouldn't, it wouldn't stick. So <laughs> without getting too graphic, the only way that your fat can come out of your body is through your poop. So it would come out as oil. So you'd literally be shitting oil, and it was horrendous. Um, and 
if you ate, so you, so it kind of forced you to have a healthy um, diet because if you didn't, you were punished for it in the bathroom. But like anything, you know, I never stuck to anything. So, I'd, so you had this, this diet was essentially avoiding fats. Yeah, or it was just a way of to kind of helping your body. I mean, obviously not. it wouldn't be able to stop binding all the fat, but it was. I think it was something like 15% of what you ate would not stick and that would come out. But obviously if you're having a really high fat meal, you're going to get a lot of it coming out um, the gross way. So so what, when you're, so you're, I don't know, you're going out for dinner or whatever, you're mm-hmm. just having to be consciously aware of, is it a case of I can't have this because it's got too much fat in or was it, well, I'll have this, but I'm going to have to pay for it later? Like, what's well, the... often I'd adopt that approach, okay. um, which is really stupid because you're then abusing something that you've been given to help you. Mm. Um, but... I mean, I just got on with it and I would try and always make the healthy choices. But at that point, I wasn't even educated enough to know what was high fat, what wasn't. Because fat can be in everything. Like there's fat in avocados. I mean, it's good fat, but it's still fat. So the pill doesn't differentiate between... There was no follow-up support. No, there was no online support system. There was no booklet you could refer to. There was... I mean, I hope I'm not doing the GP an injustice, but there wasn't any support system or kind of I don't know index to follow of what you should and shouldn't be eating and also the pill doesn't differentiate between the fats so you could you know have a nice healthy salad jam-packed of avocado and nuts and whatever and then still be punished in the bathroom you know four hours later and you think well what how I've just eaten a really healthy meal so that was a kind of another turning point where I thought I've actually got to educate myself on nutrition because something's not adding up here but there was one point, and I can't remember what, how old, I think it was, I must have been like 20 in the summer, and I wasn't, I was very, very, very constipated, and I hadn't gone to the toilet for like three days. And we were having a family barbecue, and I was keeling over in pain, um, and I couldn't understand why. And it just got worse and worse and worse, to the point where my boyfriend at the time, I had to say, like, you're going to have to take me to A&E. It's like, I feel like something's going to rupture. I'm in that much pain. Like, in pain like I've never felt. And um, he drove me to, like, the local A&E, but they didn't, they weren't an A&E that, where they could deal with it. And that was in Matlock. And he, he had to say, um, go to the A&E in Chesterfield. And that's about a 35-minute drive. And I remember saying to my boyfriend, I was like, I'm not going to make it. Something is going to happen between leaving this leaving Matlock and getting to Chestfield, something's going to happen. You know, I'm going to pass out. I feel like my stomach's going to explode. Like, something's going to happen. And on the way there... <laughs> it's the most horrendous story of my life. On the way there, um, I kind of felt movement in the bowels, and I was like, holy crap, you're going to have to pull over. I need to, find a, I need to get to a bathroom. And short, long story short, found a pub, did what I needed to do, and then um, didn't end up going to hospital because the pain had released from just going to the loo. But it was not pretty. Like, the standard diarrhoea, this was, like, foam, like, green foam. It was absolutely awful. And that lasted for about three more days after that. So, like, what on earth it was doing to my internal system, I have no idea. But it was destroying me in the inside, so I had to stop taking them. like rock bottom when I came down to London and was like okay so this isn't what I expected it would be um but met some incredible people all walks of life shapes sizes tattoos piercings the lot but I got on with all of them and it kind of 
really helped me feel like, you know, okay, I've come from a privileged background, but I'm also being accepted by anyone in London. It was like, London was just a different, you know, game field for me. It was, I felt very accepted where, you know, historically I've not always felt accepted. So that was a real comfort. And I think I started off on a good, you know, good footing. And then I got my first real job working for a wealth management company. And I'm very much a yes person. So I'd say yes to anything. I took on so many responsibilities in that um, company that it, it, I kind of spiraled myself out of control. And I had a bit of a meltdown. Well, it's not a bit of a meltdown. I had um, had a mental breakdown. (laughs) There's no point in me beating around the bush. So that was at 23 years old, 23, 24 and I just went into work one day. I knew I wasn't feeling right. I had a lot on my mind. Um, and I literally just wrote my parents the longest email about how I've suffered with, you know, mental health problems and self-harming over the years and all about my weight and my body image and self-loathing. And I just don't want to be here anymore. I don't, I don't want to suffer. I didn't, I just didn't want to be here. I just had enough and it was just too much to handle. And I remember breaking down in front of a colleague and she said oh you know just go outside get some fresh air you know don't you because they don't want to be you don't want to be seen to be crying your eyes out in an office when people are trying to get their work done so she was like go outside call your parents have it you know have a few minutes yourself I never went back to that office that was it I just I it was the only way I can explain it is like when you turn two magnets the wrong way around and you feel that force of repelling that was what it was like with me in that building I, I couldn't step back I couldn't go back. So that was that. And then I think that moment was just such a huge release for me of 24 years of pent up feelings and emotions and everything that I'd tried to hide from the world just spewed out of me. And um, there was at one stage I did, I didn't try to take my own life, but I was very, very seriously thinking about it. And that scared the shit out of me. And I quite openly spoke to my parents about it. And they obviously were so worried that they referred me to a different GP, one in London, who was absolutely fantastic. And she said, look, you are a threat to yourself. Um, we, we need to do something about it. We need to put you on suicide watch. And they recommended that I went to the Priory. And I thought, there's no way in hell I'm going into the Priory. Um... I'd rather A, not be here, or B, we have to find a different solution. So um, my mum moved down to London, stayed with me for two weeks, and I was... I can't even put it into words how bad I was. I was just a shell of the person that I am. I, you know, I didn't shower, I didn't put on makeup, I didn't do my hair. I was horrible to my mum. I didn't want to go outside, I just wanted to sleep. All I wanted to do was be asleep, because when I was asleep, it didn't hurt. I wasn't in pain, I wasn't struggling, it was just... Sleep was my relief, so I, I just never got out of bed. So I said, right, that's not working. What's my next option? And they said cognitive behavioural therapy, CBT. So I went and did, I think I did a six-week course um, with this amazing lady in um, Wimbledon. And she was incredible. She took me in, and I'd be all like, I'm not telling you anything. What do you know about me? What do you know about anything? And then five minutes later, I'd be like, oh, my God, this is so true. You know me so well. And I, she'd literally build me up, break me down, build me up again, break me down, help me see how the cycle works and how you get out of it. And one of the most 
poignant things that stuck with me is when you're starting to feel yourself sink into that sort of like pit of depression and you know it's going to be a bad day, month, whatever. She said, think of your senses. So think of five things that you can see, four things that you can touch, three things that you can smell, two things that you can, I'm trying to remember what they all are now, um, taste and one thing you can hear. And by the time you've done that, you've forgotten about what was spiraling you, you know, down the wrong way anyway. So now when I get to that stage, I'm like, right, senses, senses. And it's the one thing that's always stuck with me. So if I start feeling shit, I'm like, right, what can I see? Five things. And then by the time you finished it, you know, you, you're off thinking about something else or I don't know, you just, it makes me laugh actually. Cause I'm like, it actually works. And it kind of bugs me that she was always right. Um, but yes, yeah, so that was incredible. And I'd highly recommend you know, CBT therapy, it worked for me, it really did, um, and I think it's a lot about who your therapist is, and the relationship that you can build with them, um, and letting down your walls, and not being afraid to speak openly about what you've experienced, even if you think it's the most ridiculous thing in the world, you know, be just actually just talking about it is a huge weight lifted, and then I can't even tell you afterwards, I mean, I had my sessions at like six o'clock in the morning, and then I'd go to work, and I'd be like, oh my god so drained before I even got to work but it was like the pleasure pain thing like you know when you have a bruise and you push it and it hurts but it feels good it was like that I just felt such relief and like oh my god I can actually just go to work now and just focus on work like I'd done all that it'd gone it'd been taken away from me and every time I left that room I knew I was leaving behind a huge fuzz of bad negativity and it or just left it with her so off the back of it, I was prescribed antidepressants, um, which I I'm, I still take to this day. And I have had moments where I've tried to come off them, but it hasn't been right or it's just been the wrong time of year or whatever, for whatever reason. Um, so they hugely helped me. They just really helped with my imbalance. <clears throat> and um, I started to feel much better, more secure. Um, I then left, obviously I left that job that I had the mental breakdown with and I got a job out in Kent actually, like for a, about a month and I loved that because I would drive out of London on the opposite side of the M25 to everyone else coming in who'd all be stuck in traffic and I'd be going out to the countryside and that for me was a, a nice feeling because it took me back to being at home in Derbyshire and it was like getting away from the stress of London, from the pressure pot that it is and the commute and you're all you know you're inside someone's armpit and someone else is coughing and newspaper in your face and for me being in my car on my own bombing it out down the M25 to Kent was sheer bliss compared to the experience I just had with my previous job so that was a huge sort of I could breathe moment you know it was different and it was a whole different set of colleagues it was a different role it was a completely different experience so that was a really nice change but I was only there, I think I was only there for about three months. And then I then I got I landed a marketing job through a friend, a family friend, um, which was a real key point because not only had I got a better job and it was a better pay, but it was actually using my degree, which was the main reason why I'd come down to London in the first place. So life was kind of on the up and I kind of dealt with the breakdown. I was medicating and everything was kind of good. And I fell into a great circle of friends um, at the company I was with. So that was all fine and dandy. And then I think my weight at that point was stabilised. I wasn't necessarily losing, but I also wasn't gaining. I was just 
kind of plateauing. Um, I was becoming more aware of doing exercise because I remember I used to cycle into work because I wasn't living that far away. Um, but then I'm not very good at cycling, so I gave that up quite quickly, and it's also really dangerous in London. Um, but as far as I can remember, life was pretty stable. I didn't have anything particularly bad going on. Um, I'd broken up with my boyfriend from uni, and I'd found another boyfriend um, for about six months, and then that broke up. But it didn't have the same effects or anything like as bad as it was when I was younger. I kind of just learned to deal with it. I mean, it was awful, but it wasn't... I didn't spiral as bad as I would have done had I not gone through everything that I'd gone through with my um, my breakdown. And then I think because I was medicating, that kind of took the edge off. And I was like, yeah, it's crap, but it's life. I'm also being older and being a bit more wiser to the whole, you know, boys will break your heart, but you can also just get over it and find someone else. Um, and then I'd say when it started to go wrong again was, oh, let me think, maybe probably two years ago now. Um, I was in, again, another relationship and I don't want to like bash men. It's not about that at all. It's just the relationship that I was in went sour. Um, the guy that I was with wasn't particularly bothered about sports or health or eating, he loved beige food, as did I. He loved Chinese food, as did I. I got very comfortable. We got we were incredibly lazy. And I started to pile on the weight again. And I, I knew I was getting to a point where it was becoming a concern because obviously clothes weren't fitting. My mum and dad were looking at me like, what's happening? Like, you seem really happy, but you're piling on weight. So what isn't like something's not kind of adding up here and I think I was turning a huge blind eye to it because I was in love and I was happy again in a relationship so you were just kind of you know just I was like if you want to eat Chinese every night let's do it like we're happy you know I'd got a good job we were living um in a, in a nice flat in Putney by the river you know everything seemed fine and I was kind of like complete blinkers on complete oblivious to what I was putting in my mouth and, you know, thinking, oh, you know, it won't affect me, but it did. And um, there was one moment where I'd gone home for the weekend and my mum and dad kind of sat me down and were like, we've just watched a programme about diabetes <laughs> and, you know, how it's becoming more of a more of a problem in the UK. And, you know, once you have it, you've got it. You can't, you know, sometimes, I don't know if you actually can ever get rid of diabetes, but you obviously then have to start injecting with insulin and blah 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 blah, and they kind of just kind of use that as a, a stepping stone to be like so how are you and you know we see you know you've put on weight um we love you we're just concerned and I was like oh god here it is the mirror that I've been avoiding for the last however long and I was like yes I am aware it's fine I'll, I'll deal with it and they're like but what are you going to do because we think that you know the guy that you're dating is a huge influence on that and I was like okay another thing I'd been avoiding um anyway long story short I ended up breaking off that relationship for me because it wasn't right for several reasons um and this was at the point I'd done a lot of research into weight loss surgery because I thought I've tried everything three or four times and it's not worked I've tried medication I've tried even like <laughs> trying to like self-hypnotize with YouTube videos and like just crazy things I'd try everything um and it wasn't like nothing yet had worked and I thought right the one major thing 
has to be surgery. You know, it's next level stuff. It's it's major. Um, so I looked at all the different options, what different ones there were, like, you know, gastric banding to a gastric sleeve to a bypass to all sorts of stuff. Um, and I decided that a gastric band was what I wanted because it's not irreversible. It can be, you can, it can be removed. It's the least invasive. It's the least, um, what's the word? It's the least damaging. It's quite, it's, you know, it's what it's done by, um, what do you call it? Keyhole surgery. So it's, you know, sort of major, so it's like minor major surgery. Um, and I had seen on TV, some celebrities had used the company that I was going to use and had these amazing success stories. Um, one of them was an actress who was in Shameless and she'd had, she was huge in Shameless and then she had this surgery with the company that I went to and she was now a size eight. And I'm talking, she'd gone from size 24, 26, whatever she was, to a size eight. And I thought, well, holy moly, if she can do it at her age and she, I don't I mean, I don't want to you know, offend her, but I'm sure she's like 40s, 50s. Uh, You know, I'm not even 30 yet. So I thought if she could do it, why can't I? So I looked at all the pricing, worked out the finances, got myself a loan, had planned to do it all without anyone's knowledge. I'd only told a select few friends, hadn't even told my parents. And I'd worked out that I was after the surgery, I was going to go live with my best friend for two weeks whilst I recovered and then come back to, then come back to um, London and go back to work then I kind of had that sort of like realization, like, you know, if something went wrong during surgery and I hadn't told my parents, can you imagine how bad that would have been? So, and I also didn't want to tempt fate. So I just ended up telling my parents, I don't want your money. I don't want anything from you. I'm just telling you, I'm a grown adult. I've done all this research. This is what I want to do. And I've already booked the surgery date and it's all paid for. So there's nothing you can do. I'm just telling you I'm going to do it. And there, I thought they were going to go ballistic, but actually they were incredibly supportive and they just said, we're actually glad that you've realized that you need to do something and we know that you've struggled. We know that you've had your mental health problems and you know, if this is something you want to do, we're behind you. So I was like, great. I've not had that resistance from them that I was expecting. Um, so the date was booked. <clears throat> it was November. It's come on. It'd be coming up to two years this November. So November, 2016. Um, just after my best friend had got married when I was at my absolute biggest. So that was an awful time in my life because my best friend's wedding, I was with two other bridesmaids who were, again, stick thin, absolutely beautiful. And there's me who I literally was in this lilac dress and I looked like a plum. I was huge. Um, and I felt really bad for her because I was like, you know, your wedding photos are those key moments in your life that you hang up on the wall and you want to be so proud. And there's me like taking up half the freaking frame um but I knew that I had my my surgery date was booked so at that point I didn't really care because I knew that come November I mean she got married in October so I was like come you know next month I know I'm having this operation then you know I'll be looking great so went to the surgery in the hospital had it I went all by myself didn't have anyone come with me I was like this is this is just something I needed to do for me um surgery went really really well I was, in, I was in, I think I was only in for like an hour. Um, everything went well, recovery went well. I obviously dropped a lot of weight pre-op because I had to go on this pre-op diet to shrink my liver, which is like really bizarre. But essentially it was like just dairy food for two weeks. So yogurts and cheese and like really odd. Um, 
And I remember being so worried about shrinking my liver that when my surgeon came in when I was in recovery and I was obviously coming around from general anaesthetic, I was like, was my liver okay? And he was like, it was beautiful. <laughs> so I'd lost a lot of weight pre, I'd lost about mm, just over half a stone pre-surgery, right. just surely from having this like nonsense diet of just having to eat dairy. And then obviously post-surgery, because your stomach is obviously split into two compartments and the upper pouch is tiny. Um, and obviously it's still very inflamed from the surgery and your body's like, what have you done? And um, it's still really, really sore that I obviously didn't eat very much for the first two weeks post-surgery. So then I was obviously losing weight then. Um, and then, so the band that I had fitted was a 10 mil capacity. And normally... Um, I think you have about five or six mils in before you, like when you feel what's called the pinch um, and then they stop filling it and then you just, you, you're, you're good. That, you're, you know, you're in your fat, not fat burning range, you're in your weight um, loss re- ideal range. So you just maintain that and then you're kind of like good to go. I have eight mils in of a 10 mil band and I can without a doubt say it's not, gone at all to plan I haven't seen or felt the results that I was told I would feel was told I'd see um it just didn't happen for me it isn't happening for me um and it's really frustrating because I've spent an awful lot of money to do something that I thought was going to be the key moment in my life why is that though what I can't explain it it I think I think having a gastric band is 90 percent in your mind, you have you you have to change the way you live, the way you eat, the way you think about food, portion size, everything. And the band does the rest. The band does ten percent. The rest is on you. Um, and I think that's something I've always battled with. I've always blamed, you know, my genetics, or I've blamed my you know depression. I've used that a few times of like, oh, it's not me, it's my depression, or I've kind of blamed everything else but it's me it comes down to you there's no there's no one or not there's no one or nothing else in this world that can change something but you there's no quick fix there's no instant solution even surgery isn't the quick fix that I thought it would be and then that was something I really honed in on okay so you need to change you you need to change your brain you need to change how you think about things you need to change your approach you need to stop looking for the quick, easy way out and actually put in the hard work and do what you were supposed to be doing 10, 15 years ago. So that's when I had the the switch moment that I had when I signed up to the boot camp that I, I currently do. Um, and I just thought, you know, I've, I've always kind of avoided exercise because I, I don't hate it, but it's just hard. And I hate, I hate the feeling of, you know, not being able to breathe and sweating profusely and it's just not my thing um but I just thought it's you know I've tried everything else in terms of diet but I haven't actually really put myself through a rigorous training program um and I had a couple of personal trainers um maybe three or four five years ago who were really good um but either I couldn't afford to keep them up or they moved on to something else. And then I was like, well, I give up. If they're going to give up on me, I'll give up on myself. You know, it doesn't take much for me to quit on myself. So I kind of dabbled with the fitness thing, but then coming up to 30, I was like, okay, life's getting real. You know, I'm not 
I'm not in a relationship. I'm I'm nowhere near to be, you know, being engaged, getting married, having a family. And, you know, back when I was at uni, I was like, oh, by 30, I'll have a kid. I'll have a great big house in the countryside. I'll have a couple of dogs. I'll have a, you know, Hugh Jackman looking husband and everything will be perfect. And it's not, life is not or not going to plan as I thought it would. So my next milestone is turning 30 at the end of this month. And back in April, I decided to join up to this six week um, weight loss boot camp which is in Surbiton near where I live. And I don't know, I can't really explain how or why or where it came from. I just had this overwhelming sense of motivation and like, it's literally now or never. Like you've done everything. You've got, you've had the surgery. That's not worked. It, it is now or never. Like you're not getting any younger. You know, what, what do I want? What do I want to achieve in my life and how am I going to get it? Right, I want the husband. I want the job. I want to feel good about myself. I want to be able to go to a shop and not have to go to the back of a rail to get the biggest size. I, you know, I, I want so many things that I was like, I have to do it now. I have to. So I signed up and I, I think I, I joined on the Tuesday and I started the next day. because so I thought, oh, well, if I'm, I'm on this, you know, up with this, I've got this motivation, I've got to have to utilize it quick before it vanishes. So to sign up on the Tuesday, started on the Wednesday and did six weeks solid boot camp every single morning at 5.55 without fail for six weeks and I nailed it and I was like okay this is like this is like a whole different realm for me this is Amazing. unprecedented stuff like if I can do that what what else can I do where, where else can this go so then I started documenting my journey on Instagram and that kept me accountable and then I started to gain traction from people being like hey see what you're doing like great you look you look great you know kudos for you for working out at 5 50 in the morning how the hell do you do it um and I got a lot of interest from it and people messaging me and other girls you know complete strangers saying like oh you know I really struggle how do you do it I'm like I actually don't know how I just did it I just had a moment of realization where if I want change I have to implement change no one else is going to do it for me I've got to do it so I just kind of did it and I then once my six weeks was up, I did the transformational photo where I, you know, at the beginning I'd taken two photos, one of me front on and one of me side on. And after six weeks, which I was, it was like that moment I was dying to do. I took, I wore the same clothes and I took the same photos and I compared them and I just sat there looking at these photos and I just burst into tears because I was like, I have never seen such physical change from sheer hard work. Like, I earned that. Like, that was me. That was no one else. That wasn't any outside influences. It wasn't a tablet. It wasn't a stupid diet I'd followed. That was just blood, sweat, tears, working out. That, I can't even put it into words. It just felt so amazing. And it was felt, it felt way more satisfying than any of the diets I'd done and looked at it. Because I, I just knew that so much more of me had gone into it. It was, I can't even explain it very well, but it was just... I gave everything and I'd earned so much for doing that. So all the girls at boot camp and my coach at boot camp were like amazing work. Like you've done incredibly well, but please don't stop. And I was like, no, like I'm not giving up. So what's next? So after the six weeks, I actually won a free month. So I kept, I think I kept doing the five days a week. And then I started to run into problems with, I've had so many weddings and Hindus to go to this year. It's been a little bit ridiculous. So 
my social life started getting in the way and I started to like miss sessions and I started to feel guilty and I started to kind of sense that I was maybe kind of feeling those bad negativity kind of you know self loathing things coming back like you know you've done six weeks why are you not going every day you have to make it work you have to do this you can't give up so I had this kind of panic of like if I don't go every day I'm just going to get you know I'm going to pile the weight back on but it you know compared to what I was doing before even doing one day a week was doing way more than I was doing before so I had sort of like you know sort of slap myself a few times and be like look you don't have to go every day if you, if you only go four times a week, if you don't go three times a week, you're still going, you're still doing something, you're still beating the person sat on the sofa, eating a, you know, sharing bag of crisps, watching Coronation Street, like, you're still doing something, so I was like, okay, you know, you're right, check yourself, Sam, you're still doing something, it's fine, you know, you, your friend's getting married, fair dues, you're going to have to go to this, you're going to have to take the hit, um, and we'll just get back on track next week, and that's kind of the approach that I've adopted since then, but there have been weeks where kind of my depression's reared its ugly head and I've been like there was a, 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 a two days about four weeks ago where I was bedridden for two days because I just I just couldn't get out of bed I just had no energy I'd, I was absolutely knackered my mind wasn't in the right place and I know exercise is a really good way of helping coping with depression but I just whew, it was horrible it was like I had a, a lorry parked on top of me I couldn't get out of bed and I just have to accept that not every day is going to be a good day. But I have implemented really fantastic changes in my life since, you know, April this year that are keeping me kind of on the same track. Yes, occasionally I go off on a bit of a tangent, but I'm moving in the right direction. I'm definitely not where I want to be, but I'm definitely far better off than I was two, three years ago, you know, pre-surgery when I was the plum. So... (laughs) um, all in all, I'm in a good place. I'm on the right track. I'm still struggling with the food because I just love my food. I'm still battling with depression, which I always will do. But I am, for the first time in my life, I can actually say it's good. You know, I, I mean, yes, I'm not in a relationship and I don't have a husband. I don't have a dog. and I don't have a house and all these things. But I don't care at the moment because I'm happy for like the first time in a long, long time. I'm quite happy in my own skin. I know I'm not perfect and I know I've got weight to lose, but I don't wake up in the morning, look at myself and hate myself anymore. And that for me is the biggest win. That was Sam Horton. And I think you'll agree there were some incredible messages there and um, with an insane story for, you know, someone who's 29 years old and how she's pretty much tried every diet and every single method in trying to lose weight. If you'd like to follow Sam's journey or if you'd like to send her a message or just wanted to say hello, um, you can find her on Instagram at Samantha underscore Horton. Horton is about H-A-W-T-I-N. So next week, I haven't decided... I might give you another guest. Oh, I've got a great guest for you next. However, um, whether I do it next week or the week after, or I might give you a quick fire um, episode that I did with Jane, who is the chair of the British ABC Society, answering some of your questions because we've got loads of questions. Um, if you've got anything that you want to message us, or you've got any feedback, questions, or anything at all, please do email hello at theboss.org or find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash British ABC Society. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Please do subscribe and rate us on iTunes. And again, thank you to Sam Horton for that incredible episode. I shall uh, speak to you next week. 
share with yours.